John 8 and verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who has sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Jesus, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin." Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. May God added rich blessing to reading this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. And we pray that in your light we would see light. We're thankful that our Lord Jesus is the light of the world. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit you would enlighten us, that we would see him high and lifted up. We pray that you would meet with us by the power of your Holy Spirit each one of us where we are and tell us exactly what we need to hear. You search our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would give comfort to those who need it, encouragement to those who need it, maybe conviction where it is needed, even conversion. Lord, we pray you would speak now in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his honor and glory, amen. Be seated, please. Light 
all the way through the tunnel. In April of 2013, I took my wife on a surprise trip for her birthday. It fell on a Friday that year, and that weekend, the Gamecocks had a three-game series at Florida. Anna and I worked at our Good News Club in Lancaster that Thursday afternoon and then headed south. I had planned for us to stop uh, near Brunswick, Georgia for the night. I had made a supper reservation on St. Simon's. I had never been there before. Of course, when we arrived, it was dark. It was rainy and foggy. It had been all afternoon and was that night. And having never seen, never having seen the place before, as I drove across the causeway from Brunswick to the Golden Isles to St. Simon's, there was, there was no light anywhere, no street light, uh, no, the moon wasn't shining, nothing. It was absolutely pitch dark, and as we got onto that island driving down that road, I began to wonder, where have I taken my wife? And is my dinner reservation at some beer joint? The next morning, we went back to St. Simon, a teetotaler, by the way. Next morning, we went back to St. Simon's to spend the morning at the beach before heading down to Gainesville, Florida. And when we went back over that same causeway in the light of day, I realized, as any of you who've been to St. Simon's know, that was one of the most beautiful places on this earth. Causeway went across undisturbed saltwater marshland. That's too fancy to be a swamp. It's marshland. <clears throat> Beach was not overrun with man-made tourist traps and attractions. And I realized that at the very moment the previous night when I had wondered where have I taken my wife, I had been on a street lined on both sides with splendid stately Live oaks on either side hung with Spanish moss. At night, I drove right through it and saw nothing. The next morning, I could see it all. The light made all the difference. Like two completely different places. What I had imagined that place to look like at night was nothing like reality. In the passage before us, Jesus says he makes that much difference in this life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But the people to whom Jesus said that largely rejected it. Even some who seemed to believe at the first were ready to kill him by the end. But think of the claim Jesus is making. He's saying we cannot make sense of life. We have no direction, no vision without him. The people accused Jesus of being demon-possessed that day. But if Jesus is really saying this, that life makes no sense without him, then either he is telling the truth or 
He is demon-possessed. You know, when we've been in a difficult situation for a while, but it seems to be drawing to an end, we uh, may say uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But Jesus here promises if we come to him and we follow him, though our life be a long, dark tunnel, there will be light not just at the end of the tunnel, there will be light all the way through the tunnel and he will turn it from a long, dark tunnel into light. But his life really is dark as he says it is, and does Jesus really make as much difference as he says he does? Let's look at this passage and find out. First in the passage, you see the claims Jesus makes about himself. Look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As you remember from the previous chapter last week, this is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And, and that feast included a great light ceremony. Four huge lamps on uh, tall lamp posts were lit in the temple courtyard. And the people gathered around uh, the lamp posts. Thousands of people with lit torches at night. And they danced while the Levitical choir sang the psalms with the trumpets of the orchestra and the light from the temple lit up the entire city. Now you remember the Feast of Tabernacles was a commemoration of uh, how the Lord had led them through the wilderness 40 years to the promised land. And this light ceremony, these lamps and torches, specifically commemorated the fact that the Lord himself had led them by a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. And that pillar of fire and cloud that led the camp through the wilderness those 40 years was the presence of the Lord Jehovah himself personally leading his people to the promised land. And it's against that backdrop that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in case that sailed over someone's head, Jesus gets more pointed in verse 24. Look at it. I told you, that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, you know, Jesus says we must believe I am he. And he is supplied in the English translation. Jesus literally says that unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What does he mean, believe that I am? Jews still did not understand, so in the next verse they ask him, Who are you? we got to believe you are. Who are you? And look at Jesus' answer in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Again, I am he. Or he actually said, I am. You will know that I am. 
But there's no ambiguity whatsoever in what Jesus says at the end. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus, but Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say, I was before Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And now there is absolutely no doubt what Jesus means by I am. At the burning bush, you remember, the Lord appeared to Moses again in the form of fire. And he told Moses his name, I am. I am that I am. That's what Jehovah means, I am. Jesus is claiming nothing less than to be Jehovah God himself. And the Jews got it that time. Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This man's committed blasphemy. He claims he's the Lord Almighty. He's the I am that I am. Punishment for blasphemy was stoning, so they picked up rocks. They understood he claimed to be God that day. You see the claims Jesus makes about himself. Secondly, in this passage, you see the darkness of the world. And we'll look at about four ways Jesus points out the world is a dark place. First, Jesus says that those Jews there cannot see God because they will not look past the flesh. Look at verse 15. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now Jesus is claiming to make the invisible God visible. That's what John has said. No one has seen God at any time but the only begotten Son, He has made the invisible God known to us. You know, there are colors in a ray of light that we cannot see unless that ray is refracted by a prism. Now, those colors are always in every ray of light. But the prism refracts it so that we can see what is normally invisible to the human eye. And God is spirit. He is invisible to our eyes. But the human flesh of Jesus Christ is the prism that refracts the divine nature of the invisible God so that we can see him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory and in his flesh Jesus has made the invisible God visible. He that hath seen me hath seen the invisible Father. 
It was through the flesh of the risen Christ, the scars in his hands inside that led Thomas to exclaim, my Lord and my God. But these Jews would not look past the flesh to see the divine nature revealed through it. So Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. You cannot see God because you will not look past the flesh. Secondly, he says, they cannot seek God because they refuse to come to him. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He's saying you may ignore reality now. You may ignore me. You may ignore Jesus now, but one day you'll realize. My time has come. I have unresolved conflict, a heavy conscience. You'll seek a way to God, a way to make peace with Him. But that peace will elude you. You will seek me and you will not find me because you refuse. can't see God. They can't seek God. Thirdly, he says they cannot serve God because they're the slaves of sin. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We love those words. The truth will set you free. They're famous words. They're quoted all the time. But the people who first heard those words were absolutely furious when he said it. They understood what he was saying. You're not free now. Look at how they answered him. Look at verse 33. We're the offspring of Abraham. I've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now what do you say? And look what Jesus says back to them. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Strong words. Jesus is telling them, you're enslaved and you cannot free yourselves. You're powerless. Now the Jews took great offense at what Jesus said and they constantly argued with him, but every time they argued with him, they proved his point. His words are plain, but they are blind. They do not understand. And he said it was going away. And in verse 22, they think he's threatening suicide. I have no idea. Verse 27 says they did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. They're so enslaved to sin. It has blinded them. They can't see the truth, and the truth is standing right in front of their face. So they can't see God, they can't seek God, they can't serve God. Fourthly, Jesus says they cannot be the sons of God because they're the sons of the devil. 
verse 38, Jesus says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, in verse 44, Jesus tells them bluntly their father is the devil. But interestingly, when Jesus first says something about their father, their gut reaction in verse 39 is to say their father is Abraham, not God. They're not even thinking about God. They uh, mention him later, but not at first. Verse 45, Jesus says that they cannot believe him because he tells the truth. You cannot believe me because I tell the truth? The devil's children are repulsed by the truth. We see the darkness of the world here. It's a universal darkness that hangs all over the whole world. Jesus is not talking to pagans. These are profoundly religious people, Pharisaic Jews, working hard at their religion, and yet God is standing right in front of them in the flesh, and they cannot see him. This is why the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is hidden from people because the God of this age has blinded their eyes so they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He calls the devil the God of this age. He holds the world. The devil holds the whole world in blind slavery. That is the darkness of this world. So you see the claims Jesus makes about himself. You see the darkness of the world. Thirdly in this passage, you see a man who could see. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now the people standing here face to face with Jesus could not see him. But Jesus says that Abraham, who lived 2,000 years earlier, could see his day. What did he mean? What did Abraham see? You remember Abraham, Abram as he was back then, his mind in his own business, worshiping idols like the rest of his family, his father Terah. And somehow God just spoke to Abram told him, pack up and leave. And he promised him descendants. He promised him land. And he promised to make him a great nation. And somehow Abram obeyed the voice of the Lord and left. And years went by. And Abraham wandered about in tents and had no child. And he began to wonder, is God really going to keep his promises to me? And you remember he asked God to give him some assurance. And so in Genesis 15, God gave Abraham the assurance for which he'd asked. He made a covenant with him. He told Abraham to slaughter some animals and cut them in half and lay them one half against the other with a bloody fur running down the middle where these animals were divided. It says the Lord put Abraham into a deep sleep, and it says a deep and dreadful darkness fell 
on Abraham. And the Lord himself passed between the slaughtered animals down the furrow of blood in the form of a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. Again, the Lord appeared in the form of fire and light again. And the Lord was binding himself to Abraham by an oath to say, if I fail to keep my promise to you, May I be like these animals. In other words, the Lord was saying to Abraham, I will keep my promise to you even if it kills me. That's what Abraham saw in that deep and dreadful dark. He saw the Lord God, the light of the world, in the form of a torch, pass through dreadful darkness, pass through the blood, pass through death, and call down his own curses on himself. And that gave Abraham enough light to keep on walking following the Lord all those years. And finally, Abraham was 100 years old, almost. He had no son, no land, no heir, no great nation, but he kept following what light he had. And God finally gave him a son, Isaac. And then when Isaac was a youth, you know, God called Abraham to sacrifice him, take him to the land of Moriah, up the mountain and sacrifice your son. It must have been a dark day. But Abraham followed, taking his only son, his only begotten son. And as they were headed up to make the sacrifice with no lamb for the offering, and Isaac began to smell a rat, Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb. And when Abraham had passed the loyalty test, an angel called out to him. He looked and he found a ram. And he sacrificed a ram instead of Isaac. And Abraham saw his son get up off the altar. His son, who was as good as dead, rise up as though raised from the dead. And the book of Hebrews says that Isaac getting off the altar was a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe Abraham saw Jesus that day, the lamb who died and was raised. But that's what it means spiritually to see. God made a promise. And Abraham knew he would keep it. And he knew that the God who had pledged to bless and keep him, even if it killed him, would never leave him alone in the darkness. You know that? In those dark days, when life was long, dark tunnel 
that the Lord has promised to bless you and to be with you even if it killed him. And it did. He is with you. So you see the claims Jesus makes about himself. You see the darkness of the world. You see a man who could see and fourthly and finally the one thing the light of the world will not let you see. The one thing the light of the world won't let you see. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Then verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is a frightening statement that one could die in his sins. Back in the old days when I was a young single minister, one Saturday afternoon my then-girlfriend Anna and I went for a hike down to Congaree Swamp. We've been there several times before, but this day we tried a different trail, the outermost longest trail in the park. It was not a very popular trail we discovered as we set out on it. It was bad, grown up, not well maintained, and maybe after five or six miles, the blazings got mighty rare out there. And rather than turn around, I figure I'd just navigate. I have a pretty good sense of direction and no lack for confidence. So I struck out through the woods, and Anna followed. And we kept going, and going, and going. And got a lot closer than I was comfortable with to a wild mama sow and her pigs. And then the sun got so low that I could no longer judge my direction. And the lower the sun sank, the higher my anxiety rose. You see, I had been lost all afternoon. But it didn't bother me until the sun went down. And Jesus is saying, you can be lost in the darkness all your life and it won't bother you a bit you won't even realize you lost but one day the sun will begin to set and on that day Jesus says you'll seek me Oh, we won't seek him. But you'll realize you're lost. You'll want relief for your conscience. But Jesus says, you will die in 
your sins. No relief. No hope. No light. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now when Jesus says he will never see death, that's a euphemism. It means he'll never die in the spiritual sense. But you know, this is the only time that's used, the expression he'll never see death. In verse 52, the Jews, when they ask him about what he just said, they say, never taste death. That was the more common Hebrew saying to say that you will not taste death. But Jesus said you will not see death. Why did he say it that way? He's talking about the light of the world. And he's telling us that there is one thing that the light of the world will not let you see. He who keeps my word will never see death. It's too bright. The glory of Jesus waiting for you on the other side. It is so blindingly bright and glorious that you will not die in darkness. You will not die in your sin. You will see the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ with scars in his hands glorified that say, my son, my child, you will not die in your sins. I died in your sin. And that's it. Abraham saw it. The light passed through death, through the blood, through the curse, that he would never be left alone to walk in darkness and he would not be left alone to die in darkness. And of those who follow Jesus, you will not walk in darkness. You will not die in darkness. He died in darkness. You will not die in your sins. He died in your sins. It'll be dark days. But Jesus promised He will not leave you alone in the darkness for one second and he will not let you die in darkness there is blinding light waiting at the end of that tunnel and it lightens every moment every step on the way In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.